You're listening to Liturgies of Life, the fifth season of Enacting the Kingdom. Here you'll be joining me and Father Jeffrey as we consider the wider implications of our everyday rituals. From shopping to social media to sports and to the so-called work-life balance, let's explore how the mundane aspects of our daily existence truly become liturgies of life. Much of what we desire is actually implanted in us by those we admire. Oh, that rhymed, Father Jeffrey. I didn't even... <laughs> How does the poem go on from there? <laughs> no, it ends. That, it, it's over. The poem is over. Uh, I'm definitely not going to butcher that. But the things that we desire are so often implanted in us by those who we admire, right? We. Uh, how often is it that... Um, a child takes on a similar kind of employment that one of the parents took. You know, my, my father was a priest. I tell people I took on the family business um, because there's a familiarity there. There's also, you know, your parents hopefully tend to be people that you admire to a various, to various degrees, depending on who you are. And uh, you want to take on that kind you've had that pattern of life embodied for you and you've seen it and you can copy it and you can, um, take the baton, so to speak, and run. And today we're going to be talking about advertising and how advertising in our culture, the way that we experience advertising, we're seeing thousands, literally thousands and thousands of advertisements every single day. Like think of the, think of your children if you have children. They're seeing thousands and thousands of advertisements every single day that are creating desires in them that are creating desires in them. And advertising you know, does that super well. Um, but before I dive into anything else, Father Jeffrey, I do want to g- give you an opportunity to jump in. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you're absolutely right. Although I, I would push it even a little bit further and say that you, the, the others who kind of inculcate those desires in us aren't necessarily even consciously people that we admire. Right, so there it is. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's happening so subtly. It's happening at all these different levels in us. But but what is always and everywhere true is that these desires. Uh, I mean, as soon as you move beyond some kind of very fundamental human needs, like shelter and food and water and so forth, everything else is pure desire, and those desires are always and everywhere social. Right, they are. Mm-hmm. We, we we pick those up from other people, and certainly, you know, there's some very kind of obvious ones where we we have heroes or we have the people that we we would put on a on a pedestal and say these people embody the good life, you know, for me at least in this regard, and so in for for that I'm going to try to emulate what they're doing. I'm going to desire what they desire. I'm going to love what they love, but I would say. A good ninety nine percent of our desires are actually formed totally unconsciously, and just thinking about who those people are in that social environment that that we uh, are involved in, all the various social environments that we participate in, you know, is part of the process of kind of untangling what those desires are and where they came to us. Because the the assumption we make is that the desires are things that we have 
individually chosen. They're unique to us. They they come from our thinking. They come from 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 somehow some sort of chamber of desires within us that that we've formulated, and and we maybe try to address that, but we don't realize that all of them are. They come from the environment around us, and and we have been subtly programmed to desire, to love, to to seek for things because of of what we're trying to emulate in, in, in others. Or sometimes it's even a negative thing where you know people uh, that we don't like, you know, so we we choose the opposite, right? By and and all this is happening subconsciously without us even being aware of it. And we, I say we think we're thinking our way into wanting certain things or desiring certain things or being very deliberate about it or following some sort of hierarchy uh, of desires and so forth. Whereas in actual fact, we are just programmed by society and all of these things, including advertising to, to kind of want things that, that often aren't in our best interests. This reminds me of a scene from the television show Parks and Recreation, and one of the characters named Ron Swanson is a very straight-laced libertarian, but he starts a company called Good Building Company. <laughs> um, not a very catchy name. And he has an advertise a commercial where he sits at his desk and says, please hire Good Building Company for your, for, you know, for your next project, or don't, I don't care. <laughs> and just sort of... That's it, right? He just he's making you aware of it. But you know, there's a reason why actual commercials nowadays don't take that tactic. Um, there's 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 this capturing of the emotion of the person, right? There's the um, advertisements want to create a void inside of you that can only be filled by the product that they are offering. I think in the last episode, Father Jeffrey, you talked about this Michelob Ultra commercial, this beer, which creates a desire not only for the beer, but for the new car and for the women and for this lifestyle, right? It, it's telling you that your life without Michelob Ultra is actually not that good, right? And that you need this thing to sort of fill fill that void, that you are, um, they uh, uh, advertisements uncomplete you so that they can give that thing that will complete you. Exactly. And we think of advertising as that thing that, shows us products, right? Or services, whatever the, the, the case is, that this is the vehicle by which we are presented with things that we might purchase. But that's not what advertising does at all. Advertising shows us people who are experiencing products or services and who are mm -hmm. embodying some sort of lifestyle or good life or values or, or, you know, some sort of tremendous pleasure or joy or whatever it is. And it's that it's not, you know, and so here's the weird thing, right? So, so suppose we see this advertisement for maybe a piece of technology. We talked about that in, in our last episode, right? So somebody is using a device um, in that and in the course of that advertising and maybe in what we've read about it, you know, there are all kinds of features and, and benefits that are, are kind of talked about. It has a certain amount of memory. It has a certain speed. It has a certain, you know, feature set and, and functionality and everything. And when we go to purchase, we're, we're kind of rehearsing in our mind, oh, this will be good, you know, two gigabytes of RAM rather than just one, you know, or I've got all this extra storage or I'll be able to take, you know, sharper photographs with, with this lens and, and that sort of thing. We're, we're telling ourselves the 
the rational explanation, right? The, the reasons for this are objective criteria and so forth. But the reason we're really buying that is we saw the person using that in that advertisement or, you know, we, we know that if we have that, we're going to be as happy as they are, right? Or we're going to have the kind of relationships that they have, or we're going to be able to impress people the way they've done, right? Because those sharper photographs or whatever are going to show off the lifestyle I have and show people that I'm, you know, I'm keeping up and, you know, I'm embodying the, the good 21st century life and, and so forth. That's happening subconsciously. We're telling ourselves, no, this is my rational choice. I've evaluated all the options and these are the reasons I'm choosing this product over the other one. The real reason is the subconscious one. It's a social one. It's saying, I want to be like those people. And even if we haven't consciously said the person in that advertisement is my hero, um, effectively, that's what we've done. We've made them our exemplars. We've, and it's this mimetic you know, this copying, this imitation of, of the desires of others that is tremendously forming in us and tremendously manipulative of, of our whole life, right? And we need to be awakened to that happening, that all of desire is a social process. It's this mimetic mystery, you know, that, that we're participating in at all times. If you're not a patron of Enacting the Kingdom, you're only getting half a podcast. This show only exists because of an active community of people just like you over on Patreon. When you become a patron, you'll get additional episodes, live streams, and our ever-growing backlog of episodes, 66 at the time of this recording. And as we're social media free, Patreon is the only place to engage with us and others about these episodes. Go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom to join the growing community. In the early days of television, the commercials for children's toys targeted the mothers. But then over time, they realized that they could actually make way more money if they targeted the children with these commercials because then the children go and annoy the mother until the mother gives in and gets the toy. And I think something similar has happened in recent decades with advertising where, you know, originally the thought was, well, let us advertise to the logic of the people, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, the good building company kind of ad, right? right? <laughs> but then they realized, well, actually we let us advertise to the heart of the people and the heart mm -hmm. will uh, the heart will make the decision and the mind will justify it at any costs. This is exactly, you know, the case that it, by going after the heart that we don't pay enough attention to, in fact, we rarely do, although the whole of Orthodox spiritual life, of course, is about attending to what's deeply embedded there, descending with our minds into our hearts to pay attention to what's there, but we, we hardly pay any attention. We're governed by these deep set desires and so forth. But that thing you said about, you know, once that desire is formed, our minds, our, our rational faculty will, will kind of justify anything, right? It, it, it's not proper reasoned, you know, decision-making. It's just after the fact justification of what we've already decided that, that we desire. And so, you know, and, and, and this is it's advertising, it's social media to a big extent, because what social media has done is this really weird thing where it's, you know, we used to have a kind of internal and external worlds, right? That, that we would operate in. And, and all this kind of social formation of our mimetic desires is happening both in this internal world, that would be the people with whom you could say there's a kind of mutuality to the influence, right? The people you actually interact with IRL, as they say, in real life. Right? So our 
in, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, and that sort of thing, the people that we genuinely meet could even be your barber or your, you know, the, the waiter in a restaurant or whatever, because you are involved in this, you know, interaction. Then there's external influences, the external world that has a profound influence on us, right? That like the movie stars and the sports heroes and and politicians and and whatever, or even characters in novels, right? Because you know, that can influence you, even if they don't actually exist. Now the fact they're external because you don't influence them back. But then you have this middle place of social media, which is really fascinating because it's both of those worlds intersecting, right? To some extent, there's a mutuality. Some of these people you might know, you know, for real, but otherwise there's this vast network. I mean, millions of people now that are influencing us constantly, you know, and it's all about this sort of level of desire and and, and the lifestyle and so forth and affecting us deeply in, in our hearts. So somebody goes on a particular kind of holiday and puts their pictures up on Instagram or, you know, somebody's purchased a Tesla and, you know, and is showing that off on, on Facebook or, or whatever. And we don't realize the extent to which our next time that we think about, okay, what am I going to do, you know, summer, uh, you know, what am I going to do about my next car purchase or whatever, how much that has been influenced by what we've seen portrayed in, you know, these media, right? And, and we will make what we think are rational, unique to us decisions, but they're in fact highly programmed by our, our social environment and everything. And unlike that purely internal world where there's a kind of opportunity to check, right? That, that, that there's something healthier about that internal world of influences that, that we have because we can see behind you know, that perfect holiday that someone has wanted to project to the world and see, well, actually maybe things aren't a hundred percent right in that family, their dynamics, the relationships and, and so forth. So that we're not sucked into thinking that holiday makes you happy, right? That makes for a perfect family. My family will be sorted out as long as I take them, you know, on this trip or whatever, right? Because that's the lie that we're being sold at always and everywhere that once we get these things lined up correctly, then we will have that life. You know, I drink this beer, I'll have the, you know, a better sex life or I drive this car and suddenly I'll be popular or whatever the case may be that is subtly you know, influence so that those internal ones are healthier somehow than the, than the purely external ones. But the social media place and advertising, you know, alongside it, you know, lives in this weird place in between this, uh, where it overlaps and is highly, highly, you know, destructive to us. Um, but lest we think this desire thing is, you know, and mimetic desire is purely evil. It's not that it's, it's just that that's the way things are. Right. And so the answer to all of that has got to be to find internal and external worlds in which our mimetic capacity for desire is influenced by good things and not by bad. Mm -hmm. It's not that we can get away from them. There's a certain extent, I mean, you'll find people on the internet training you to become an anti-mimetic desiring, you know, person, right? A little bit more conscious about everything. And that to some extent is what, you know, the minimalism movement, um, you know, kind of intersects a little bit with that. But Ultimately, though, this is what we are as human beings. We learn to love anything socially, right? And so what we want to say is, what? how do we get to learn to love the right things rather than the wrong things? How do we get to, to desire and behave and enact the, the, the properly good life rather than these lies and counterfeits mm-hmm. that are being sold and so forth? And so this is where all this intersects with what we 
in as Christians properly call liturgy, right? Because liturgy is one of the places, the primary place that we rehearse the desires and behaviors and enactings of of what is properly good for us as human beings. Right, right, yeah. Right? The, like the church is fully aware that this is how human beings behave, right? Like the, the church in its history and its liturgy and everything is fully aware that this is the way that we act in the world and actually offers us good things to mimic, right? Offers us um, an actual structure that we can participate in that orients us towards the good, not just towards lining the pocketbooks of certain uh, rich people at the top. Um, you know, I, coming to mind are things like, well, okay, let's say you walk into a mall. We read that J- James K. Smith thing in our first episode where he talks about going to the mall as this religious experience. And he talks about looking up at the images of the redeemed who are living like the, the good life, the saved life. And it might be, you know, the underwear model, or it might be the Rolex model or the, the person sitting on the car, or whatever it might be. These people are living the good life and you are meant to see yourself in that image and those advertisements actually act as a mirror for who you could be right you are actually someone who could live that good life but that good life is very limited right Uh, maybe in the end not that good of a life at all but we have that when we come into church we do have the images the icons of the redeemed who are living in the kingdom and are mirrors for us of our purpose and our telos, right? We, that, that concept of telos and purpose keeps coming back in every single one of these episodes. And it just strikes me that the church knows human psychology, right? The church knows how humans work and actually gives us the gift of icons and of the lives of the saints that we can surround ourselves with. Imagine if we experienced the lives of the saints and icons as many times as we experience advertising in a day. Let's say 3,000 ads a day. What if we experienced 3,000 lives of the saints every single day, right? How might that form us in our, in our hearts? And we looked at 3,000 different icons of saints. How might that form us? Consequently, when we're not, you know, where is the fighting chance here, right? Uh, you know, we think that maybe with an hour or two of church per week, and maybe a little bit beyond that where we kind of reflect back on it or do something, you know, in our private devotional life or whatever, we give some attention to that. We think that that's enough. And then we think ourselves into being Christians, right? We just, every, in our conscious rationalization of, of things, we, you know, I believe in, in God. I believe in God as Trinity. I've got the creed. You know, I've, I've got the right books on my shelf. I'm, I'm an Orthodox Christian job done, right? But then I'm bombarded and immersed in all of these, you know, uh, stories as we've, we've used that, that word before. I mean, and, and, and those things are forming me deep within, in my heart, forming my desires and so forth. I mean, the, the reality of the last judgment will be a revelation of what we really love, right? And as we know from the you know, what our Lord says um, about the the judgment of the nations, right? The separation of the sheep from the goats is that people are going to be surprised by how they were, right? It's not, in other words, they weren't, they thought they were doing the right things, right? They, in their minds, in their conscious reality, they thought everything was fine, but they're going to be surprised by what is revealed about how they really loved, really desired, really behaved because those things are just not attended to. 
And that's quite scary, right? If we think about the unexamined life that we actually live and the fact, as you say, that we're bombarded by thousands and thousands of these things all the time, it's no accident that we are formed entirely in you know, towards the the ends of these stories that are the counterfeits of the real story. Now, what what is so seductive about them is that they they trade on rea- on on true reality, on on the true goods, right? That that whole description. And I hope when we read it that you know, people understood this was a shopping mall, right? Because you know, I've I've read that out to people before. They said, "Oh, that sounds good." Well, which church is this, after all? <laughs> you know, thinking, "No, didn't you get it? Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. this is this is that." temple at the center of our civilization, the, the, the shopping center, right? And maybe it's losing its value actually as a case study over time because people just shop online these days. But the, the point still remains, right? That in that environment, the reason it works is not only that it, it works with this mimetic desire, which is the heart of what uh, how people are formed into their the, what they're they're orienting their lives towards and so forth, but actually it trades on good things. It trades on beauty, right? It trades on joy. It trades on on human connection. It all those sorts of things. But it it does is it gives you a counterfeit version of these. It gives you a transient, temporary ultimately unfulfilling one, right? If you get this shirt, you'll be happy. And then when you have that shirt, you're happy for 15 seconds before you need to have the next one or the matching, you know, uh, whatever to go with it, the jacket, the shoes, um, and, and so forth. Or you get this car, everything will be fine, except that there's a new model now, don't you know? And so on and so forth. And it's, it's, it, it's ultimately unsatisfactory because it's, less than that true good. Our hearts will remain restless until they find their true home in God, St. Augustine said. And he knew this. As you said, the church understands how this works, right? That things used for themselves are ultimately unsatisfactory. Things used as signs towards God are, are things being used properly. And we've spoken before how Christians ought to be the true materialist because we understand that the true value of the world of creation of material is to lead us you know towards god and if we use things properly in that way if we orient our desires you know correctly it's not that we miss out on beauty and joy and truth and 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 so on it's that we get those aplenty and fully and and ult- in their holest sense in in god himself right and so yeah Yes, the church does know this. The church, our liturgy, our, our icons, our lives of the saints, all these things are, you know, from a pre-modern era when, you know, this was properly understood about the human being. I think what we can have to say, though, about the church is that for a long period of time, the church was highly modernized. We still had the icons. We still had the liturgy. We still had the lives of the saints. But we downplayed their significance in this deep way of, of, of human formation, because we bought the lie from the modern period mm-hmm. that it's our thoughts, our, our, our thinking, our, our worldview that ultimately matters. And so the church redirected its efforts to getting people to think correctly, right? To, you know, catechesis is all about you know, read these books and, and think these thoughts. And, oh, now you're orthodox, aren't you? Because you're thinking all the right things and yet not paying any attention to your heart, which is being guided by Madison Avenue and the advertising executives because they never forgot those pre-modern insights. And it's sort of taken a more recent 
you know, turn and, and, and a kind of rediscovery, you know, we've talked about mimetic desire. Well, it was a 20th century, um, it wasn't originally a philosopher, but came to be known as a philosopher, René Girard, right? A, a Catholic um, uh, who, after the Second World War, went to the United States, he was a historian, and he studied this, and, and he's credited with inventing mimetic desire. Well, Hardly. I mean, this is this was talked about by Aristotle, right? And the church fathers knew this in the early church, and that's why our whole liturgy is set the way uh, up the way it is, right? But but he rediscovers it in the sense of teaching us that it's not ultimately the things that that we think that are influencing us. It's the things that we are desiring and loving, and because that comes from that world around us, these internal and external worlds, and we need to pay attention to that. And then, therefore, immerse ourselves in internal and external worlds that will form those desires in the right direction, right? And so, absolutely, I should be paying a lot more attention to the lives of the saints than to, you know, the stories that are coming to me from Instagram or Facebook or from from the advertisers who are trying to get me to buy their version of the good life. Whereas, you know, the liturgy, the icons and so forth that we should be surrounding ourselves with are actually directing us towards God in, in ways that, that we can't even begin to think about fully, but can act at this deep, deep level in our hearts, in our desires, in our bodies. If you are getting value from this podcast, please consider writing a short, positive five-star review on your podcast app. And even though we are social media free, there is still a place you can keep up to date with Enacting the Kingdom. You can join the email list by going to enactingthekingdom.com. It seems like we're fighting a losing battle, though. Like we're covered, we're buried in advertisement, right? Like you go on your phone and there's advertisements. You go drive on the street and you have the radio on and it's advertising. And you look at the billboards and they're advertising. And you watch TV and they're advertising. Everything seems to be advertising and creating these uh, voids, these perceived voids inside of you that you have to fill with these products. You're covered. You're, you're experiencing, like I mentioned, thousands and thousands of advertisements a day. And like you mentioned, most of us will go to church on kind of Sunday, maybe do one other thing. And that's kind of it. Like, how, how can we, how can we quell the onslaught of advertising in our life? Like, what do we, what do we do with this problem as Orthodox Christians? I think there's a, a few kind of key things that that are, are helpful here. I mean, obviously, there's an extent to which you're quite right. I mean, we can't just go off into, you know, some sort of desert environment, find some island, live by ourselves and everything. But but recognize that if we were born and lived our lives on some sort of deserted island, this wouldn't come into play in quite the same way. We would be fundamentally oriented towards, you know, the key, you know, needs that we have as human beings, right? And then we would maybe begin to reflect on something, you know, more ultimate, right? And if we had any sort of um, opportunity, we would probably build, you know, a little altar and, and worship God and, and, and so forth. So we would be limited and, and, and constrained by the lack of kind of social, you know, kind of influence here. But so first of all, let's recognize that desires are different from needs, right? And And let's not just assume that because we want something that we therefore need it. So that's, that. I mean, that's a key thing that every parent needs to, to tell their children and probably does, but it, it's, it's something that's worth reminding ourselves of all the time. And the secondly is the fact that we recognize these desires that aren't needs 
are a social process. They don't come from within us. They, we mimic what other people want. So recognize that. Just doing that is a helpful step. And then in our own lives, we can kind of do a bit of an audit, right? We can identify who are the people or the models that are behind each thing we want. So if we, we come to a, a moment in our, uh, and if we're, we're noticing it anyway, I want this. Don't just say, well, it's because it's got these features or this is what it's going to do and everything. Where did we, where did we come across that? Where, who, who is it that we are, you know, trying to emulate or mimic in this? Because there's going to be someone or some ones that, that are behind that. And then evaluate them in terms of saying, you know, who is, you know, what environment are they in? You know, and what are they actually embodying? Do we want the fullness of the life that they're actually exemplifying here? Or have we not really thought that through, right? So we can do that kind of critical, you know, analysis. Become aware also of, of not being obsessively focused on, you know, who your neighbors or Facebook friends or whoever, you know, what they have or want, right? Be, be just aware of that fact that we've been drawn into kind of unnecessary competition and rivalry all the time, right? With, with other people. Um, and this is a really interesting thing. This, people have noticed counselors, uh, you know, marriage therapists, that sort of thing. This is happening inside families, that husbands and wives are doing the same thing. They're, they're obsessively focused on each other. There's, there's jealousies and rivalries in relationships and people trying to one up, you know, one another. So this has become a real problem just in, in the basic family dynamics and everything as well. So it's not just about the people out there. It can sometimes be the people in your own households that are, that are at stake here. And then once we kind of do this audit and critical thinking, you can begin to map out the whole systems of desire that we're drawn into, right? That there's the kind of, it's not even just the the one-to-one relationship with, with products or, or services or whatever, but it's like, there's a, there's a whole, you know, kind of process and development and everything that, you know, we're, we're, you know, whether it's our careers or, you know, our housing or all the kinds of things that we do in our life that these are governed by desire right and and we we need to be careful right i mean a lot of people make fundamental and and profound life decisions without really attending to their own you know uh necessarily you know proper properly chosen wants desires needs abilities and so forth but only because that was expected of them or they think they're trying to live up to something right they have to go to university because you know everybody in my social strata or everybody in my group does and that might not be the best decision right so we have to be really attentive to how whole systems can kind of map out this way and then begin to take ownership of desires and to know that okay we may not be able to author all our desires but we can somehow kind of own them and uh, direct them and, and, and rethink them and so forth. And as far as possible, do these two things. Live in a kind of anti-mimetic way, right? So free ourselves from the herd mentality by going to something you know, deeper and then finding within that something deeper ways of imitating models which are good, right? And that's where the church 
with its liturgy, which is this concentrated rehearsal of living the the, the whole of, of human life in in a in a more directed teleologically uh, sound way. This is we know here we have the proper good life. It's the life of the pattern of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And if we can do that, then it frees us from that larger herd mentality and allows us to kind of have exemplars and models of desire of, of true desire desire to love god desire to love others that that will be a better way of forming us in fact not just better but the best way of forming us in in a way that frees us from from a lot of this but we have to we, we can't just sort of think oh that's those people who are so easily drawn in right that's oh that's somebody else we have to really take seriously all these different points and recognize that we have been co-opted and coerced and our, our desires marshaled towards all kinds of ends that are not the ends that we think thanks for listening i'm father yuri gladio an orthodox christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning and i'm joined on this show by my teacher and friend father jeffrey reddy Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. Come connect with us on Patreon with any thoughts and follow-ups about this episode. We look forward to seeing you next time.